0: Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, act, taking hurt to hope. Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl.
1: Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Today we're starting a series of how ACT is used for health issues. Remember that ACT has three components. Opening up to the reality of the moment, becoming aware of the difference between the actual reality felt by your five senses in contrast to what your mind is telling you about this reality, and third, taking steps in your valued direction in this reality that you find yourself in. Today we're going to talk about something uh, that is a, the general topic of chronic illness and how ACT can be applied. If you think about it, in the early 1900s, the United States, along with uh, most of the Western world, had its major health threats were infectious diseases, poor hygiene, poor sanitation, and diseases associated with with poor nutrition, uh, poor maternal and infant health, diseases or injuries for unsafe workplaces or hazardous occupations. And the, and and the solution to these problems were the major vaccinations and antibiotics. But today, and the the uh, focus of public health and research has shifted to the effects of chronic diseases on public health. This is something that's new and that we need to find new solutions for. And this shift in focus has created many new. Uh, innovative programs. And today you're going to get a chance to talk to an expert, Dr. Abby Beecham. Abby is an associate professor and director of the clinical training at the Department of Psychology at Xavier University. Abby, uh, welcome. Thank you.
2: I'm thrilled to be here.
1: Abby, you know, our radio listeners are always interested in, in the person behind the researcher and the clinician. So could you tell us a little about about um, how you got interested in ACT?
2: You know, I got interested in ACT uh, in about 2000. And I uh, was working in a medical center uh, at the time. And a of mine emailed me and said, you got to get this book. And I read it and I thought, oh, you know, sweet mystery of mine, <laughs> I found <laughs> you. I, um, I, The reason I got interested in it is because of living a valued existence um, in spite of the fact that we might be experiencing pain or either physical pain or emotional pain in that we didn't have to wait for everything to be perfect to start living the life that we want to live every day.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: that's how it all began for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so it was really a personal, as something that meant something to you personally. It did,
2: um, and I, you know, I had two parents who were quite remarkable. They were older when I was born, and they had lived through World War II and the Depression, and they had themselves a lot of health problems and, you know, a fair amount of grief. And yet, they really were uh, the type of people who just got up every day and said, if I wait for, you know, no pain, if I wait to not be sad, then I'm going to wait my life away. Mm -hmm. And uh, I felt like they were just such great role models. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was really, it it helped me connect that.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and then you got interested in chronic illness. I did. What happened there?
2: I, I did a lot of clinical work in chronic pain. So I've worked in pain centers. Um, I found that to be you know, really rewarding. I loved it. I really worked well in that atmosphere and loved working with people who had pain. Mm-hmm. And then we started doing some research in chronic pain. And uh, the people I worked with, actually students I worked with, we were sitting around one day talking about how pain isn't the only thing um, that people experience it's the whole experience of many chronic illnesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, People come in with diabetes and obesity and smoking and feeling fatigued and not being able to sleep. Maybe they have numbness, maybe they have pain, maybe they have nausea. Um, And we felt like asking about pain just wasn't enough. And we wanted to start looking at chronic illness across the board and addressing the whole person, how how they come in the door and what it is that their experience is. So we began to look at chronic illnesses altogether.
1: Okay, so Abby, would that be in contrast to, um, I mean, the, the era that probably you and I have both grown up uh, with, getting the specialties, so going away from maybe the family physician into all these specialties. So a lot of people have compared uh, coming into a hospital like going to a car mechanic, and with the different specialties that look at different parts. Is that in contrast to? That's that,
2: yeah. that's the best analogy I can think of. Um, that. We are taking, we're moving away from specialty and moving back to care of the whole person, um, coming back to primary care. Uh, so you're not just your diabetes, you're not just your back pain, that you come in and we, we look at taking care of the whole person all at once and what their experiences um, at once. So very much like bringing the car mechanic back to the generalist. <laughs>
1: How common is that, Abby, that the, the people have these multi-go-across diagnoses?
2: Uh, it's more common than I even thought. Um, we ran across a statistic that said in America, uh, and Americans are probably the front runners in having many chronic illnesses, that one of every two Americans have at least one chronic illness. And uh, in the research we've done recently, uh, people had, on average, who answered our questionnaires, about two and a half diagnoses. And it ranged anywhere from one diagnosis to ten mm-hmm. diagnoses. Wow. Simultaneously, yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, I'm, and the other thing that we notice is that when people come in, um, They say, I have this, and I have this, and I have this, and I have this. And the most difficult thing for patients, I think, is to sort all of that out in a way that they feel they can do the things that they value. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the question becomes, um, where do we begin? And uh, how do we um, move people from feeling incredibly disabled? Mm -hmm. Um, like they can't do things to begin to ask questions or make room for um, how can I Mm -hmm. and that's that's how we try to begin but it has been pretty educational for me Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't I thought that things would be a little cleaner and they're just they're just not because people are complex
1: Yeah. So traditionally, before, um, this was often managed by education. For example, I know that in the pain clinics I've worked with, it's uh, pretty standard to have an education about how pain works or how stress works. Um, So this is a little in contrast to that.
2: Yeah. Um, Most of the medical behavioral interventions, you know, the things that people design to help Um, people with pain or manage their weight or quit smoking are about education. Mm -hmm. Um, The reality is that patients, we all know what we should do. Uh, We all know that things are bad um, for our health. And education is the first step, but it certainly doesn't help people achieve their goals. It doesn't help people do what they need to do to be healthier or feel better or just get back to the business of living in spite of the fact that they may have illnesses. So this is where I think a lot of even public health is beginning to change Mm -hmm. because we understand that educating people about diabetes doesn't necessarily help them take steps toward living a good life every day and they, as a matter of fact, have diabetes and are managing that.
1: Mm, yeah, that reminds me, Abby, of um, working with uh, obesity, for example. I think it's it, it felt very embarrassing that uh, most people who with an obesity problem are pr- probably much more uh, knowledgeable than you and I are about oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> nutrition yeah. and what they should be doing. And it feels a little belittling and insulting to one more time give them an education.
2: <laughs> I think that's very true. Um, you know, if we, if education worked, we would all be normal weight. None of us would smoke, and we would eat really, really well and exercise <laughs> every day. So we know what to do. We just, it's, we haven't found the key, and, and that is where I think ACT um, has such incredible potential to think about new ways of, of working with people.
1: Yeah, tell us about so how does ACT like approach? How how does that conceptualize and think about this? chronic illness as a whole.
2: One of the first questions I had when I began looking at this was, well, um, if we think about experiential avoidance, I wondered if maybe that people didn't uh, do certain things because they didn't want to experience either physical pain or emotional pain um, connected to their illness. Mm -hmm. And we also thought, well, perhaps, mindfulness came into play, and mm-hmm. then we thought, oh, is it, is it depression or, or anxiety or what we would call negative affect? Mm-hmm. So we began looking at these things, and when it all came down to it, the strongest, what, what we would think of, what, what really predicts moving forward or what predicts holding people back wasn't any of those things. Mm-hmm. It was acceptance.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm
2: and um, I think it it's probably useful to explain what we mean by acceptance Mm -hmm. yes do that there are two parts and and this is based on uh, the work that Lance McCracken and his group did Mm -hmm. with pain but the first part is activity engagement Mm -hmm. that is I have I have these symptoms I have this um, illness and yet In spite of that, I am doing things that I value. I'm getting on with the business of living. Mm -hmm. Um, The other part is willingness. That is, I'm willing to experience um, the pain or the symptoms and then do things, move toward um, doing things that are important to me. Mm -hmm. And it was those two parts that really played um, the strongest role in how people moved forward or didn't move forward, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that was a little bit surprising to us. Honestly, I thought it was going to be mindfulness, uh-huh. <laughs> and, it, uh-huh. and, it, and it wasn't. It consistently is not, um, which which was uh, surprising and, and disappointing to me because I had big ideas about how it would be uh-huh. mindfulness.
1: Uh-huh. Uh huh. Well, couldn't mindfulness also, um, depending on how, how you define it, 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 acceptance is sort of mindfulness, isn't it? it you, you're opening up and willing to make room for uh, this discomfort.
2: Absolutely. I, You know, if we think about it um, in terms of contact with the present moment, adding in the piece of non-judging, Mm-hmm. Um, noticing, not judging, and then moving toward um, what's important, Mm -hmm. then absolutely um, mindfulness plays a role. Uh, We just haven't figured out how to make that happen in our work Mm -hmm. scientifically, if you want to think about it that way.
1: Okay. So would you say, Abby, that uh, acceptance is a stronger predictor um, than the actual um, damage or tissue damage or or illness yes um, in fact um, in
2: some of the work that one of my students has done um, she was able to take a look at well you know how to what predicts disability mm-hmm. and it wasn't objective measures of actual disability mm-hmm. uh, in terms of you know, tissue damage or limited range of motion It was really a person's feeling that they just, couldn't do it, mm-hmm. so it wasn't objective. It was that person's experience and their interpretation of what they can and can't do. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And of course, that's very colored of, of from learning and, and conditions. So it's, it's acceptance is a wonderful thing that helps us to that we can do much more than we our mind is telling us.
2: Yeah, and I it, think of it as um, when we think about disability. I'm being fused with this concept of I'm disabled. And And fused, um, you want to explain what fused means? uh, You know, really identifying with the thought of I can't do these things. I am disabled. I see myself as being disabled. And that... um, I think of it as Velcro. It's like it's Velcroed to me and it becomes a part of me and I believe that thought mm-hmm. um, and then behave accordingly. So I'm letting the thought that's Velcroed to me determine what I do, mm-hmm. if that makes any mm-hmm. sense.
1: Yep, yep. So how how do you actually work with diffusion, if you take that in your program?
2: If that's an interesting that's an interesting piece. Um, first, uh, I think we go in the side door for diffusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing, uh, because we're in a medical setting, we often have very little time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the very first thing that I like to do is to begin with, what is it What is it that makes you want to come in? Uh, what is it that is keeping you coming in to see us and see the doctor? Um, why, why do you want to do this? And often um, people have are driven by a value that they hold quite dear mm-hmm. uh, i want to I want to be able to play with my grandchildren was one that I heard one time mm-hmm. that really struck me. Um, but she felt that her perception of being completely disabled um, kept her from even engaging with them on any level mm-hmm. so. In terms of diffusion, we began to look at that and um, work with a little bit about making room for what would what would playing with your grandchildren look like, and move toward a how can I interact in a way that's important, and am I disabled in that way? And st- stepping back from the thought, that thought, I'm um, having the thought that I'm disabled and can't do this at all.
1: Um, that- yeah. May I, let me ask you, Abby, uh, you know, I, I work in, in in similar clinics here, and this is something yeah. we, we struggle with. For example, um, patients uh, or people come into the clinic and their perspective is, um, there's something wrong with me, and unless this wrong can be fixed, um, I cannot work or I cannot do these things. And of course, we have another perspective, and our perspective is um, these things that can be influenced, and you can do something about this. Which sort of borders on giving them the blame, you know, for for the symptom. So how mm-hmm. do you how do you bridge from you know the perspective that they want a symptom reduction to uh, what we want enact, which is um, taking steps and value directions together with your discomfort. Right. Um,
2: I, I think if we go back to the two parts of acceptance, one being uh, activity engagement and the other being willingness. And we can gauge, um, would it be worth it to you um, to have some of these symptoms or to not feel perfect, if it meant that you got to spend some, some wonderful time with your grandkids, mm-hmm. and doing whatever, whatever it is we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And I think that question brings people to a fork in the road, mm-hmm. uh, where they can look at it just a little bit differently, and if, if what we're saying they want to do is, is actually doable, um, then more often than not, the well, quite often, the answer is yes, it's worth it to me. Mm-hmm. And it moves beyond the um, notion that I'm disabled and can do nothing. So we go from I can't to how can I mm-hmm. and begin to basically whittle away at the strength of that thought, <clears throat> this mm-hmm. idea that I, I have to wait for all of my symptoms to go away.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you find Abby that um, that that people have? I mean, it, uh, I've I've just become a grandmother myself, and it's um it's so very very dear and precious to me. So the if if I felt that I couldn't do that, it, uh, if you start talking about grandchildren, it would be very emotional, very difficult for me. If I if I were to th- think the thought that I can't do that, that values can be quite difficult. Mhm. <clears throat> they can. Um.
2: I think a piece of what is valued um, can, can be quite strong. Um, so, for example, um, I'll just take this, this one patient as an example. Yes, give she, us an I remember, example. That's good. Um, I remember her really clearly because um, I don't think that she had ever been asked, what is it that makes you want to do this treatment, want to come back? And she said, I I can't play with my grandkids, and I want to be able to pick them up, and I want to be able to run around with them. Given the nature of her back injury uh, and her pain, that probably wasn't a realistic way to pursue that valued activity. Mm -hmm. Um, Once we started talking about it, uh, her solution was maybe... I could sit, and she could only really sit for about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was her sitting tolerance. She said, maybe I could get my my daughter to bring a chair outside when the kids were playing, and I could sit, and they maybe could do things around me, even if it meant that I, I couldn't really pick them up and run around with them. Mm-hmm. But she began to look for pieces of that valued activity, and then again the question became, would it be worth it to you? Mm -hmm. You know, even if you couldn't pick them up, would it be worth it to you to have the pain that you have, sit near them, Mm -hmm. if it meant that you got to be part of that activity? Mm -hmm. And she got closer and closer to yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was where the movement actually occurred. Mm -hmm. And that's what we tend to see. Values can be quite emotional. And because they're so emotional, um, I think they... um, they become a barrier and yet they, they become an opening of the barrier.
1: Mm-hmm. That was interesting to hear about, Abby. Could you have any other example of, of someone you've worked with in this using act?
2: I have, a, you know, I have a number of patients um, with whom I've worked. And, and you know, I have to say, Joanne, mm-hmm. that they teach me I, so much. I Probably they do more in teaching me than I do for them. There's one patient um, who had a progressive neurological condition who was referred to us, I think because her doctor assumed that she was depressed. And in fact, she wasn't depressed, but the fact that she was losing function at a steady rate and um, the future for her looked like she wouldn't be able to live independently, uh, she was trying to figure out how to work with that every day because every day her symptoms were different. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was, um, she could get around in the house okay on foot but For the most part she was in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And um, she came in and she said, you know, I'll tell you right now, I'm not depressed. I don't want to do a workbook. I'm not going to do your, you know, your stinking homework. (laughs) And I said, okay. (laughs) Which was too bad because I just set the homework to the side. And she said, I just, you know, I I don't know how to do this. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had been involved in theater. Mm -hmm. And she was extremely creative and a tremendous storyteller. Mm-hmm. And I think that for her, it was about the story. What was the story going to be mm-hmm. every day? How was she going to, who was she going to be, mm-hmm. in spite of the fact that this this was happening to her? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we both agreed that the key was for her to stay as independent as possible mm-hmm. and able to do things that she loved. and. Um, valued as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so she wrote a script for all of this, oh, uh, okay. essentially. <laughs> and and because she was such a great storyteller, um, every time I met with her, it began with, you know, a, a, a really emotional sort of mm-hmm. um, theatrical story. Mm-hmm. She um, began with the premise of, you know, who am I today? Where are my symptoms today? how can I move today she took several buses to get to us she took several buses to get to the grocery many people might have said what are you doing why don't you just have it delivered but for her this was about living yeah and she did and did and did and in the course of all of that began volunteering in a the theater began doing the things that she valued and then started proactively working with what are the things I must do to maintain my independent living. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was not in charge. She was in charge. Mm-hmm. And that's really the way it ought to be. Yeah. She was about psychological flexibility every single day.
1: <laughs> so. I love that, Abby. I think she should write a, a book because I think that what a, what a wonderful idea that, um, uh, that to write a script for yourself every single day. Mm-hmm. about how yeah. you want to be, how you want this day to go. She, uh, you know, it,
2: it's funny that you say that, Joanne, because that was the last um, assignment, the last time I saw her. Um, she had decided to write a book, or at the very least write a blog.
1: Oh, um, I would love to read it. I think she would be so much help for people, because I think actually when you, I don't know why, but when you actually write things, it's, it's a, a different perspective than thinking it.
2: Yeah, yeah. We we really encourage her, write this script, write this script, you're so good. Yeah. And she was an inspiration to other people who also had that particular disorder, and I think that through her storytelling and her enthusiasm, um, I imagine a lot of other people have benefited. I I know I did.
1: <laughs> yes. You know, last week, Abby, we had Jason Loma on the program talking about perspective taking, and he, he exactly said that, that, you know, you could – If you have a story about, for example, I had a story that I have too much to do, and you could, you know, you could write a novel about how much you have too much to do and give it a name, and then see that is, you know, is getting into that story, are are you, is that who you are, or are you more than that story?
2: Yeah. Yes, that is absolutely it. Yeah. I'm... um, I listened to that program, and I remember um, when I was listening to that program, and Jason, you and Jason were talking about that. Mm-hmm. I was trying to do three or four things at once. And I think how busy I was! And I, I stopped immediately. <laughs> I thought, oh, I'm busted. <laughs>
1: That's funny. Abby, we've come to the end of the program now. Um, I'm sure our radio listeners would love to hear you give some advice about. You know, if if the listeners are themselves have a chronic illness or have someone in their family with a chronic illness, what could you? What advice could you give us?
2: I think um, it comes down to this every day. If We think about what is this? What is the script or the story for today? When people have a chronic illness and chronic chronic symptoms, um, each day is a little bit different in that invites an opportunity to sit with that and notice it and take stock and say, is it going to be I can't or is it going to be how can I and what does that look like today? And is it worth it to me to experience whatever symptoms or sadness or fatigue? Um, if it means that today I'm going to get to be able to do the thing that I really want to do, however small. Mm. And, and I think we overlook the small And the small is really powerful. Is it the less is more um, if we really pay attention? And that's, you know, I can say that's the advice, but that's really advice for me and for all of us. Um, We really get caught on that conveyor belt of um, that story and stopping and thinking, well, this is the story for now. Mm
1: -hmm. That
2: would be the best thing I could say.
1: Thank you so much, Abby, for being on the program with us today.
2: Oh, thank you. I've really enjoyed it.
1: You've been listening to Dr. Abby Beecham. Abby is an associate professor and director of clinical training at the Department of Psychology in Xavier University in Ohio in the United States. Thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain values in action, and epilepsy, a behavior medicine approach to assessment and treatment in children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.